Okay, welcome back to another edition of the Cairo London Podcast. And today I've got Wilf Sinclair. Now, you're probably not going to know who Wilf is, but he's got an amazing story to share with us about when back pain is not necessarily back pain, it's cancer. Yeah, so he uh, was gracious enough to come and share uh, a few minutes with us uh, at our local little cafe over the road from Putney Chiropractic. And we really go into, he's only a young 23-year-old, and uh, last year he came to me with um, what seemed like a fairly standard nerve irritation, mechanical back problem. But over, you know, after seeing loads of different people over a six to nine month period, he finally got a blood test and had Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosed. And just earlier this year in 2021, uh, he went through a, an intensive 12 week bout of chemotherapy. So uh, for those listeners who are chiropractors, uh, I want you to listen to this and think about some of those red flags that he had um, because, you know, even though I didn't pick it up at the time um, and, you know, I wanted to be really open about that, uh, it was very early on and it wasn't until a little bit later on that a few more of, the, more of those red flags came along. But it's well worth you guys, all chiropractors listening to this and um, helping you just think about what it might be outside of a mechanical problem when someone presents to you with back pain or low back pain. You know, what other alternatives are there? Um, but if you're not a chiropractor, uh, it just makes for a great story of someone who's survived cancer as a young young dude is, is you know, uh, he shares quite a bit about, um, you know, what the actual process was and how challenging it was. And, you know, he's really quite open with it. So thanks, Will, for, for opening up with us. Um, you know, pretty inspirational stuff. Great to hear you back uh, on track and basically got the all clear. Um, but yeah, anyway, sit back, have a listen to this one. Um, we record it in 79 Collective while drinking Ground Coffee Society coffee. Uh, but it's a little bit noisy in the background, but uh, I think it blends in nicely with our conversation. Something a little bit different. I uh, hope it doesn't annoy you too much. And um, anyway, crack on and uh, let's meet Wilf. Okay, well, Wilf Sinclair, welcome to the Cairo London podcast. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will have done an intro already, so uh, people will know who you are and why you're being interviewed today. Okay. But... Um, is also we are recording in the 79 Collective, which is fueled by Ground Coffee Society Coffee, who just also happen to be a sponsor of the podcast. Um, and we are about to be taking in a cappuccino and an oat flat white um, to help the discussion. Um, so, yeah, sorry if there's a little bit of background noise. Uh, hopefully it blends in nicely with our dulcet tones. Um, <laughs> I'll speak up. <laughs> But look, um, we're sort of veering away a little bit from some of the guests I've actually had on the podcast uh, recently, and uh, it's, it's basically all about, because I think you have an amazing story to tell, how effectively you are a cancer survivor, right? Yeah, basically. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you may look good there, Dude, spot on. <laughs> on this. Let's just have a taste. Nothing like the idea of our listeners getting to sort of hear us drink coffee, right? Um, you said don't speak up too loud and slurping, does that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't hear any slurping. 
um, yeah, so I just brushed on that. But you've got an amazing story, mate, of like um, uh, you've survived, uh, you've just had chemo this year, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty um, intense chemo as well. So, yeah. so we're just going to unravel that whole thing because the, the reason why I wanted to have a chat to you is that this whole thing started in March 2020. We are now in July 2021. And I met you in March 2020, um, when you came into Putney Chiropractic, you work at Pearson Cycles, so yes, I know, there's another link to cycling here, <laughs> everyone's getting bored of the whole cycling, but this is definitely not a cycling uh, episode, no. um, and you you know, you know, came in in March 2020 with a pretty extreme version of back pain. So so, yeah, you, you were sort of the, the next thing really, I've tried quite a lot of people and obviously COVID starting, NHS was like completely locked out, no chance of seeing anyone in there and I thought, you know, I don't really know where to go from this. It was just it was just back pain and um you know So, so talk us through the when so you saw me in March twenty twenty, but when did you first get um it was about pain? about September um twenty nineteen. Really? Yeah so I thought it was uh, related to a, a little tiny spill out on my bike where I didn't really fall off but I, I jabbed my leg into the ground during a race and um, and that sort of you know jarred my leg and it that hurt and I, I didn't race for the rest of the season because of it and I thought it was kind of just related to that and I guess that kind of made it, it you know that made it explode more but I assume it was there before this whole cancer of stuff and it um, it just got worse and worse and worse and I saw a couple of physiotherapists um, and my girlfriend's a physiotherapist as well and she was like she's more respiratory side so she was like you need to see someone a bit more specialist and it just sort of bounced around a few people and uh, just wasn't getting anywhere I went to like aqua therapy and things like that and that just it just I, I knew almost that it was it just wasn't the usual you know, muscular kind of back pain. I thought I've done something here that's like proper, but obviously I've never done it. I've never injured myself like that before, so I don't, I don't know what it is. And then that's when I ended up coming to see you, and we did an X-ray, and it didn't really show much from memory. It didn't show much, and it was kind of like I'm not making this up. You know, I'm not trying to get someone to believe me, but it was like, how can I? Where can I go to get this sort of sorted out? And um, yeah. So I remember at the time though, like we we sort of thought, okay, well let's just take an X-ray, uh, let's see, see, because you had this going on for like many months, you know what I mean? And then uh, I, I did look back at sort of that X-ray, and there was like you know a fairly standard sort of twisted pelvis, and sort of like it looked like there's a little bit of a leg length discrepancy going on, and you know it sort of did, no one's perfect though, I think. So. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty common to get that sort of yeah, thing going on, you know. And you're a young guy. How old are you? Now? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. So. You know, uh, but just to have this like long-term problem going on, and, and it was pretty severe pain. I seem to remember, um, and it was almost like my diagnosis at the time was a mechanical problem, but also even some sort of disc involvement because it had been going on for so long. And sometimes when you have like pain that lasts for months, it's it's showing damage to, or you know, you're suspecting there's some sort of damage to the disc and the nerve that forms that sort of sciatic nerve, or Maybe if you get a problem higher up in the lumbar spine, you get this like femoral nerve uh, on the front of the thigh pain, that sort of stuff. And so you, you had that sort of like pain into your leg as well as into your back. And then, you know, you were linking it back to that fall you had in the bike. Um, and That's anyway. where it all started. So I just thought, you know, I think I think it was all probably underlying, underlying there. And then it just, that's kind of made it go like, oh, you know, made it really like, like, we can't repair this type thing, you know. But it just wasn't reacting. 
And so, you know, I gave my, you my opinion of what was going on. And, uh, you know, admittedly, you just got my opinion. We didn't really do any treatment. It was just sort of like, okay, well, you know, this is what I think is going on. Do these stretches. Carry on doing the home care that you've probably been doing already anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I want to sort of use this for, you know, those people just finding an interesting story today, greatness and revel the story. But for those chiropractors who are listening, I think it's really good to sort of just look back and see if there's anything that I missed in that whole process, right? Because, you know, we, we are, chiropractors are primary care practitioners. We're sort of people who have people come in the door and we've got to be able to tell whether or not someone who has a headache has a headache from a neck problem or whether they have a headache from a brain chip. You know? yeah. uh, and so, uh, you know, obviously as things unravel, uh, we basically had... Um, you know, there were more signs that were cropping up with you as time went by, which then started getting people thinking about other causes not back-related. Hey, um, exactly, yeah. So look, let's just go through it. What, what do you think when you think back, aside from the bike fall, what other things were going on that maybe could have, before you had this blood test, what other things were going on that you think could have sent the alarm bells ringing? You know? Yeah, well, I, I, I had... I'm always, I've always been quite, quite skinny or narrow, as I like to call it. Narrow, yeah. <laughs> narrow. <Aero. laughs> but um, it, I just started lo- or not maintaining any weight really, and I'm not, I'm not one of these cyclists that's like, you know, I've got to have 20 grams of protein and carbs and stuff. I just eat what I want, basically, and I just was just losing weight constantly, and it was just like I didn't ignore it, but I did, just didn't really put two and two together. I wasn't sleeping very well, and I actually um, said. It's a bit, bit nasty, but I started getting some like quite severe night sweats, which is a real like red flag apparently. And when when eventually you get to see NHS kind of people, they no one really kind of said anything about it. And I was like, I haven't looked it up or anything, but like I said earlier, my girlfriend's a, in the NHS, and she was like, that's a that's I think that's that's not right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, that was quite like odd. Um, was, was that sort of through the summer of 2020 then, wasn't it? Yeah, getting into sort of July, August time, it was starting to get you know, really bad. And then um, eventually got to see, because obviously COVID, they couldn't see a lot of people in, in the flesh. And I saw a few physios over um, over FaceTime. And it was, yeah, you know, that worked and stuff, but they couldn't obviously maybe detect what I was, you know, what it was like in person, you know, kind of how I was sort of standing or, you know, weight sort of loss, anything like that. And it got a bit um, like just, yeah, do do 20 of these stretches and 20 of those stretches, and uh, which I was doing, but they just weren't doing anything. And then um, and then I eventually got an MRI scan and they sort of flagged up that I had these little um, uh, lesions in my, in my spinal fluid. Spinal fluid? Yeah, okay. which, were called, which are called hemangiomas, I believe. Yeah, hemangiomas. They're the ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she said to me, they're, they're quite common, you know, they're nothing to be too worried about, and they weren't too close to kind of the edge of the, um, she said the edge of the spine or something, I don't know, you know technical terms, but uh, and she said it's so that, that shouldn't be causing you pain, but she, he could kind of tell she was unsure. So then I got bumped up to the next guy who's... Um, he was a, a he was really good and stuff. He went through it all with me, and he is basically the person you get sent to if they don't know what's wrong with you, um, which was I guess a positive because <laughs> they were taking me seriously. 
Um, so just to go back a step, who, um, who was that the radiologist that discovered those variations on the MRI? I guess so. Um, yeah, I was seeing the um, just the physiotherapy department at the local... Um, okay, and then they organised the MRI, then yeah. they found something weird, and then that's where you then go on to the spinal specialist, was it? Like the consultant, or you're not sure he, who that he, did, he didn't really say, I didn't know really sure, he just said I'm basically the person they, they send you to when they don't know what's wrong yeah. um, with you. So, because I guess... He did a couple of assessments like you did, and it wasn't nothing like obvious because like it was moving around fine, right? You know, it doesn't. It was like it wasn't like I couldn't lift stuff or I didn't have any strength. It was just that that sort of that area right at the bottom of my yeah, right at the bottom of my spine was just so painful, and that's what always made me think it's it's not something muscular. It's like it's like right in the core almost. And I thought like, I fractured something, or is there a trap nerve or something? But again, I've never had any of this pain, and you only get told what it feels like, right? So I don't know what I'm feeling. And yeah. it was, I wasn't, yeah, so I wasn't ignoring it at all, but I'm just like, what? I don't know how to explain this pain. And when you're kind of young and obviously COVID going on, they're not trying to get rid of people, but they're like, you'll, you'll heal up, you know, you'll give it, give it a couple months, do your stretches and stuff, which I was doing. And then it just got to the point where, yeah, I was getting, like I said, I was getting all these sweats and I was getting so tired doing literally anything. It was really draining me, really draining me. And cycling to work, to and from work, which is about 13 miles each way, you know, I was getting to the point where I was like, I'm just absolutely cooked. <laughs> so it was, it was getting, yeah. So then, uh, so the guy who was investigating that MRI further, uh, whether he'd been a head physio or whether he'd be a spinal consultant, uh, how did it evolve from that? I guess this is August by this point in time. Yep. When did you end up getting a blood test? He referred me for a blood test. Okay. And um, oh, that, that was all scheduled. And then, and then my GP rang. And she, um, she's, uh, she basically um, intervened and said, I've seen this referral from this, this chap to send you a blood test and you don't need that. So I'm going to cancel it. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, oh, really? Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> doctors are like the next level up. So you're sort of like, okay, you know, you're in charge. Uh-huh. Thing. Okay, I'm a bit frustrated, but, what, you know, she said, you're just going to keep doing your MSK treatment through him and he'll assess you more I was like okay but he's already assessed me so why you know what more so yeah that was delayed till December until he eventually was like no he needs a blood test so they sent me for a blood test which what's a blood test it's not a big thing is it no 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 not at all and then they they, yeah they said to me oh um, so yeah we found you probably need to go to haematology at the the actual hospital now not rather than just the GP clinic down the road from me I was like okay didn't really think much of it um, and then they said oh you know they did an assessment on me and they found these this lump in my neck and one in my groin which I didn't even yes I didn't even know about I, I thought the one in my neck I kind of knew a bit about but I thought that was just a, like a muscle where I pulled a muscle sort of compensating for the rest of the back pain so was this though uh, step back as Guy Pearson told me who you worked for the Pearson's bike shop yep. our friends down in Pearson's um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he told me that was that done at the Royal Marsden then, was it? No. Okay. No. So, so you, you, you had the blood test results were the GP interpreted those, and then they sent you off to haematology in yeah, St Helier Hospital. St Helier Hospital. Yeah. And then they were the ones that sort of okay started looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. And that's where they discovered these lymph nodes in yep. your neck and your groin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what happened from there? I had a biopsy. Um, and he went, luckily for the one in my neck, which <laughs> I prefer a big yeah. needle in my neck, I think, <laughs> than my groin. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I made the mistake of seeing this needle and it was massive, but I just sort of, you know, big boy. 
wasn't too bad. Um, and then yeah, wait, waited a, you know three or four days. But they they said to me like you're on the two week track, and me and the me and the girlfriend were like you know that's two week tracks normally like you know we've got feet speed this up. It's kind of the, that's what they're checking for. So we kind of had a rough idea of what it might be that I've got. Obviously some sort of underlying disease, and it, yeah, it turned out to be this. Uh, Stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. So stage four stage Hodgkin's four, lymphoma. Yeah, that's what. How many there. stages are there? Four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. No. So I see that. I was like, okay, that's like, uh, you know, the end of the line, right? I thought, am I, you know, obviously, the first thing you think was, I'm going to die, you know. I thought this is serious. Um, and she said, luckily, no, it's not necessarily that that's going to be the case. It's that they, they class it in stages as to where it is in your body. So it was in all four quadrants of me basically so okay. I had it in my in my spleen in my liver it got into my bone marrow it was in um, like yeah, my abdomen it was in my neck obviously and in my, in my groin so that's why they had to class it as that so I was quite lucky in that the largest lymph node was only four centimetres long um, whereas you can get them in there you know some people get them in their massive great big lumps on their on the neck and stuff I didn't have that so I guess you could kind of say it was caught early in that they were small but I had plenty of them all over me yeah. Which was the kind of like, oh, interesting, you know. <laughs> and you're you're aware of like what your spleen does, right? Yeah, if it was the blood, I believe. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. basically a massive lymph node, you know. Yeah. I mean? uh, so uh, it, it's it's natural that that's affected. Um, you know, it's got that same tissue as lymph nodes do. Um, but yes, for it to be in your spleen and all over your body, then that's where any wonder your body's been freaking out and night yeah, sweats and that's and, where it all. Yeah, that's where the, those red flags were obviously you know telling them. And, you know, all the sweating and stuff, that was where it was. So look, just step back a little bit, and this is where I think chiropractors listening to this could really learn a thing or two. And this is something that, that we, when someone presents with low back pain, it's really common to have those hip flexors or in the front of the groin uh, in spasm. You know, it's like, it's like a uh, muscle that attaches to the front of the lumbar spine and it sort of like tightens up regularly when you've actually got back pain, right? So you recalled to me earlier that the we found in your groin uh, quite a lot of soreness to do with what we were thinking was mechanical back pain, mm. maybe nerve irritation down into the leg and all that sort of stuff. I didn't detect any lymph node swelling at that point in time. Um, I definitely put it down to this whole hip flexor spasm and uh, psoas muscle is what it's called. Um, uh, you know, just and, and kind of gave you those hip flexor stretches and that sort of thing to do. You know, but as it turned out, that I guess if if I hadn't detected a bit of a swelling in those lymph nodes then and there, that could have saved you. Like, because at what time did you have the biopsy? What month was that? December. December. So this is March we saw you, and it basically took, uh, you know, all those months to sort of work out what was going on. And then fairly soon after that biopsy and the diagnosis, uh, that's when you started chemo, wasn't it? Yeah, so I got diagnosed in mid-Jan, and then end, end of January they started chemo. So, um, right. it, but, to, you know, I think, like I said earlier, the largest one I had, which was in my, in my sort of right deep down in me, yeah. just couldn't feel it, was... Yeah. Excuse me, it was four centimeters, so that was the, that's not very big compared to what they can be. Yeah. And the one in my groin wasn't massive anyway, so by that time, that was kind of when they were beginning to become inflamed. So it's I didn't notice like, it, you know, it's on my body, you think I was yeah. <laughs> spotted first. But. Yeah, so I mean, maybe maybe I could get away with the fact yeah. that it wasn't swollen in, uh, well, maybe it wasn't even swollen in December, so there's no hope yeah, of me exactly. feeling it. Exactly, I don't, know, so I don't know how long it takes for them to sort of, you know, to start well, to swell up, but it, it, it certainly, I did not know there was one in my groin until she went, oh, 
What's that? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so obviously this is a Hodgkin's lymphoma is a disease that affects the lymphatic tissue in the body, hence all these lymph nodes and that we've got, you know, for, for those who don't know, you know, it's like you've, you've got your arteries and your veins and your lymphatic system, or your circulatory system and your lymphatic system, and that's the stuff that sort of helps you know, return the fluid back to the, to, to the heart, basically. And so, uh, but also is integral in fighting off infection, right? So, exactly, yeah. uh, was, I mean, was there any signs of that as well? Were you getting colds and, you so know? So this is, this is actually quite interesting, is I um, just moved in with my girlfriend in December. And we moved in, and like I said earlier, she's NHS. She was on, on the wards with, with uh, the, all the COVID stuff um, in uh, Croydon University Hospital which was having it really bad at that time right. and inevitably she caught COVID right. so we had to self-isolate for 10 days in December right at unknown to me that when I was at my worst and I didn't so, catch it so, so when you were at your worst like uh, yeah. your lymphatic system your uh, immune system was at its lowest point probably yep. um, you were self-isolating with someone with COVID yep in a one bed flat <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't catch it I don't oh, know how yeah. I, don't, yeah, it's, uh, I guess luckily my immune system was you know, it's pretty good so I didn't get any colds anything like that nothing so um, so then um, what uh Talk us through if you're okay with that, uh, the whole process of chemo. You know, you say it was fairly. Absolutely. Uh, it's not as bad. Well, for me, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. When you see it on TV and in the films and stuff, you think, oh my God, you know, that looks awful. And, it, and I'm sure it is for a lot of people. Um, and it was at times. I, I started, um, yeah, late gen, pretty much straight away, and I didn't have a lot of choice for what to go for. So I was at the Royal Marsden uh, in Sutton, luckily, which was at the top of my road. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, he's at the top of my road, which is great. So, you know, even during chemo, um, I was walking to my session some days if I fell up to it and walking back, which really helped me because I wasn't allowed outside pretty much. So that was good. Um, but I so were you, to, were you an outpatient? Like, uh, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't have to stay in at all, which was yeah. really lucky. Um, the worst day was the first day. Uh, I got given the treatment straight away and obviously they told me what it was going to be um, and it was uh, what's called BCOPDAC which is a really intense cycle um, and it was three days um, then a week off then one day and then ten days off and then it starts again and it's quite intense and they even said to me like this isn't very pleasant so it's not going to be very good you know you might suffer quite a lot I might end up becoming neutropenic which is where you lose your immune system and you can't have a lot of anything to eat basically so like coffee for example now milk and anything kind of it's got bacteria in it I couldn't have had any of that and luckily I didn't get to any of that at that point at all um, so the specifics of it though you're, you're sat in a chair or a bed yeah so yeah so I had to have what's called a pick line fitted um, which is like a yeah like a, a, a tap almost in your arm like a tube goes all the way down into your heart yeah um, and I had that in my arm permanently for for the duration of the chemo so I had a choice of that. that. I had it for 12 weeks, which, yeah, right. yeah lucky. It was quite quite quick. You know, and I said, I didn't really quite sunk in with this whole thing. To be honest, when I tell people, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> because it was quite long days of sitting in quite nice sort of lazy boy type set up chairs, which was, you know, in a great, great environment as well. It wasn't too hospital, which obviously some people don't really like. I'm not a massive fan of it. Um, but it was really, you know, quite comfortable. Um, and they just had this, you know, the, the, the IV drip next to you all day clicking away. And some, some days it was like six hours 
another day it was only one or two hours just because depending on how the treatment was for that day um, yeah and it's just sort of sit there iPad phone go to sleep <laughs> bit of lunch <laughs> and, and 12 weeks of that and 12 know. weeks of it yeah but like I say it was quite a lot of it was actually spent at home with pills and I had a couple of injections I had to do um, during you know once a day in a certain area of that cycle um, but yeah like I say I think for a lot of people in different types of cancers it's probably a lot worse but yeah I'm not saying like oh yeah it was easy but it, it definitely um, wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be and I, I, I think I respond well to it because I've been quite fit and healthy for most of my life just riding my bike really you know um, like I said earlier I don't take it too seriously it's like into my life because it's fun that's why I like it I just, I'm not like I have to be the best one out there but um, that's why I do it and it, I think that definitely helps definitely helps helps sort of flush the system or the, yeah. you know, the body was fitter it just some, took it know. better yeah I don't, I don't know but it, it obviously just worked because it, it got we got to six weeks and I had to have another PET CT scan and the comparison of these scans was amazing it was the first one was that lit up like a Christmas tree I was like I said earlier stage four completely covered in it and it was like oh and then um, yeah six weeks later they were going to determine how much more treatment I needed and they were almost more chuffed than I was at how quickly and how easy they couldn't believe it had just got a complete metabolic response and um, so what physically did that look like did it look like you know like loads of color on the first one yeah uh, so and I'd, I'd, so I'd never had a, a I'd, I'm not very into I've never experienced anything like this before so for anyone else who doesn't know it's uh, a PET CT scan is they put a into or into my pick line at the time they put in a, a glucose sort of solution I guess yeah. <laughs> and you, know, you have to fast for six to eight hours and flushes it through your system and basically it picks up you lie still in this big loud chamber for half an hour or so and then it basically picks up um, any cancerous cells that that solution then attracts to okay. so it, it sort of you know concentrates on that area so it's almost like a dye sort of thing. yeah it is a dye yeah, yeah yeah that's a better word for it <laughs> yeah um, and so the first one I had was absolutely like all over me like and it went the sort of the darker the orange the worse kind of more concentrated it is um, and then the next one along was yeah hardly anything hardly so, any of that yeah, orange yeah, like, yeah I was like wow you know completely different almost like you know two different people almost uh, I had to get a picture of it I also got a picture <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool you have to send that to me I'd love to see it yeah we will do um, when did you because you, you had the full hair falling out thing right yeah, so that was the that's where it sunk in the most, I think. And uh, I don't really care, like you know, about my hair too much. In that, you know, it's part of life, right? For some people, anyway. Um, and I've got quite nice, sort of thick hair. And my brother's bald, my dad's bald, and I oh, think right. I kind of missed that, <laughs> luckily. <laughs> and my granddad's ninety-two; he's still got a full head of hair, so I've got hope. Yeah, and, yeah, and I thought, oh, and then they said about the hair falling out. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever, it'll grow back. And that's it didn't. It's, uh, it still hasn't really sunk in this whole thing, but that's when it really hit me. Was uh, when it fell out, and that's was, where was it, that like a month into this thing? Yeah, it was about a month in, yeah. and it took me a while to figure out what day it was of the treatment that I thought anyway was caused. Was that that's the day that your hair falls out because you kind of get like little kind of onion, you know, little baby hairs that start to come back, and then it all falls out again. And, and that's that. Yeah, it was that kind of that fourth day on its own, a couple of weeks into the into the cycle where it, that's that was the day. Um, but I remember feeling quite down at that point and um, my dad actually said to me he said that your hair's falling out because it's the, the drug that's helping you get better 
causing it, not not the illness. And that that made me feel, oh yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> that made me feel really good. Yeah, about it's a that, sign so. that it's obviously working, right? Uh, yes, yeah. So, um, well, the, you know, that it's going through my system anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they they offered me a a wig, and I, I just said no. I'm, I'm okay. I just you know embrace it. <laughs> Streamline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm glad it's back now. <laughs> and it's coming yeah. back thick and fast as well. Have you had a haircut yet? Or? Nope. This is it. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, is... we'll take a selfie in a minute and we can see what your <laughs> kind of like uncut hair looks like. And you've got more hair than me already. So, <laughs> um, so when, you're, when you're in the old big recliners, uh, I guess you're sat there with other people doing the same thing. Is that yeah, right? it, yeah. Different types of, you know, not just, I guess they've all got different sort of cancers and that. And some, it, that was one of the hardest parts for me was I was quite clearly taking it okay and it just makes you feel like a really it just felt like I was hung over the whole time um for the sort of 12 week period it was um you know obviously no one likes to be hung over but it could have been a lot worse than that whereas there was people I you know some days were in the chair sort of over the way and they would look quite bad you know suffering and see them week in week out and they were quite clearly not getting better and I was getting better and that, that was probably the hardest bit for me was being around you know people and sort of there's a bell on the wall when you finished the treatment if you you know if you're in remission you, you ring the bell and I, I just didn't feel like doing it not you know I just didn't want to rub it in almost I know they wouldn't take it that way but it just didn't feel right um, so going with it you know like, look at me I'll, I'll beat it you know I guess it gives hope to some people but I just I didn't want to that's heard the that idea before, that's like a so I think the Marsden hospitals have that, right? Because uh, Royal Mars is all about cancer. Right? So, yeah. It is a proper cancer, yeah, hospital. I mean, a lot of people come from, you know, all over it to, to go there. And uh, I was lucky enough to be literally two, two miles, if that, you know, and it was um, really lucky because it meant that I didn't have to stay in there, which was... And the, um, was there much conversation going on when you were sat in the chair or it depends on uh, I guess the stage of what people are at right because some people were just like most people were completely whacked out of it um, I, I might not seem it now but I can talk for England <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you were chatting away or I, I tried a few times with some people but at the same time I kind of wanted to respect the fact that they're not going they're not in the sort of situation they want to be talked at for too long and I'm, I think I'm quite good at reading that on someone's face that they're okay you know I'll better stop talking now so um, I tried to just sort of keep to myself read yeah. um, I can imagine that's the sort of thing it's not like a not really, yeah. But the but the nursing staff were so nice. So you know, they're such a, and they always remember you. You know, it's not like you're just a number. They they know who you are, what you've got, um, and there's you know enough of them there um, to sort of think that you, you wouldn't see the same one again. But they're always the same sort of you know six or seven of them. And yeah, they were they were amazing actually, getting you all through it, and taking your mind off it at times, just chatting to you, or you know, just have, getting through it. All. So we're looking at the Hodgkin's in front of the thing was. Uh, it's, it's commonly uh, a disease of people in their 20s or over 70s, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and I think we looked at the stat where even though it can be a quite aggressive condition, um, it's 85% of people live for five years and most of those guys are actually, um, you know, sort of are completely resolved by the end of that five-year period as well, right? And so, you know, even though it's obviously a pretty scary thing... Um, Thankfully, you got one of the good ones, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I because uh, I kind of knew some of it was wrong with me. This sounds a bit weird. I was actually quite like chuffed when they told me what was, you know, oh, we found this is what's wrong with you. Not chuffed that I've got cancer, but chuffed like, yes, 
I knew, I knew it. <laughs> I knew something was wrong with me. And I was like, well, let's crack on then and get and get on with the treatment. Um, I was quite, yeah, keen to just smash it out. And I, I kind of just kept my head on the whole time, which I think, I think it's really important to, to just be not, you know, cocky with it, but you just got to be positive and try and, you know, I know how I feel and I'm feeling better already. One of the big things I didn't mention earlier actually was I lost my appetite over the last 18 months, two years, and I hadn't really realised. Um, you usually have quite a big appetite riding your bike, doing any exercise a lot, because you obviously need to refuel your system. And I just wasn't, wasn't like I said earlier, I wasn't gaining any weight. I was eating, but I wasn't feeling eating, which was kind of unusual. And um, almost instantly when they, they said to me, what um, is going to happen is you might not want to be eating at all with this treatment because it's going to make you feel quite ill. So anytime you do feel hungry, you do really have to eat, whether that's at one in the morning or five o'clock in the afternoon. So um, I was thinking, like, oh God, like, I'm not hungry anyway. So I started treatment a couple of days in and I'm like, oh, you know, food. You were starving. <laughs> yeah, I was really, really hungry, which is a good sign because I obviously meant like I've got some weight, but they were like anything you crave, whether that's ice cream or, you know, burgers or anything that you think is a craving. I know, mine was broccoli. Stir <laughs> <laughs> fried broccoli. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, then it was leeks for some reason. And then it was sweet corn. I've no idea why. I like all three. I still like all three. But it was just, I just didn't think that that's a particular craving, you know, food. <laughs> no, chocolate, um, ice cream, yeah. all that. No, no, no. and I, yeah, I just was just like veg, which I suppose is a good thing oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Did not didn't think, oh, I better eat healthy at all. Because quite a lot of people, when this all kicked off you know, I got some really lovely messages from you know, friends, family and friends of friends who've had similar situations because this is the sort of thing I've never heard of Hodgkins but then you get it and then everyone's like oh my you know sister's boyfriend had that or you know my uncle's you know friend had it or something and it's, it sort of comes out of woodwork and then people sort of give you tips for how to get through it and loads of people were like oh you should try this try these you know these smoothies because this is sort of cancer proven you know supposed to beat it and all that and I was sort of like no, I'm just, yeah. I'm just going to continue with how I am, really, because because yeah. I had my appetite back, and it, I didn't do any of that stuff, which was quite good. And it's one of those things where have you ever done the thing of like why me or like how does that actually happen? And there, there isn't any predisposing reason as to why you get that, right? There's not as though it's, it's genetic, or it's not nope. as though it's like lifestyle for you. It's just a, a kind of mutation within. Well, no, no one in my family has ever. None, Mum or dad, so I'd never had any cancers, nothing. So I'm the first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, when well, I was again quite pleased it wasn't a lifestyle thing because I would have felt awful being treated for something that I'd caused. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it just came out. They say yeah, it just I was like oh okay, and it came out of the blue sort of. You know. So let's go back to some of those red flags because obviously you had night sweats, right? Yep. Um, weight loss. Now, uh, what was your racing weight back in 2018 sort of thing? Like how many kilos were you then? So I was, um, 2018, 2019, I was about, I was about 69 kilos. Yeah. And then what did you drop down to? 60 kilos. So you lost 10 kilos and then that's like, you know, 15% of your body weight sort of thing, isn't it? I'm six foot one and a a bit. We'll get that in it. Um, so, you know, I was quite obviously thin, you know, like, you know, gaunt sort of in the face it wasn't very nice yeah um, and you had no hair and it was like yeah yeah so but so that's so night sweats weight loss the other thing which we haven't really talked about is uh, night pain is a lot of the time that sort of is a red flag uh, for something like this as well did you have like was your back pain any worse at night or? yeah quite a lot of the time it was uh, it was really I just couldn't get comfortable at all which yeah. 
and if I was asleep, the quality of sleep was awful. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so it was just never quite comfortable at all, you know, getting to any. Sort. And then obviously, like it was hot anyway. But the coming out of the, the summer and the sweats were still there. That was the most uncomfortable thing. Was waking up three, four times a night, absolutely sort of drenched in it, which was not. Yeah. No, no one wants that. Because you know the, the, the reason my pain is important is like if it's a mechanical problem, then uh, when you're moving and lifting and stuff, uh, that's it's more of a problem. Uh, if it's happening at rest, then that's meant to be a sign for well, maybe it's not mechanical. You know. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, it makes so makes sense. That's, that's not causing sort of, it. Yeah, yeah exactly. not doing anything to cause any of it. So it's but it's still there. You know, look, I, I do hope that. Because it's it certainly made me sort of. But this is kind of again the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you. Because it's like sometimes when you sort of uh, you see a lot of people, you know, ninety nine percent of the people we see uh, have mechanical back problems. You know what I mean? And it's just that one or two that sort of walk through the door that actually, you know, if if we're not tuned into these little red flags, uh, you know, hopefully anyone listening to this will sort of, you know be a little bit more wary of some of those uh, some of those little you know things to kind of really keep an eye out for when you're definitely when you're taking the history when you're listening to someone's concern and I guess what could have I, I could have done better on my end of it was I probably could have come and seen you more than once was probably the, <laughs> the big thing was it but I, could, I should have done a little follow up review maybe a couple yeah. of months down the line but but it's, um, it's, it's that thing where you went down the physio route and that's cool it's kind of you know but it was like obviously there was that thing where you were like you know you were having sort of a frustrating time of not getting better and it's just that whole thing that even when we do see people we, we regularly do the thing where we say okay well here's the problem that we think is going on let's just do 10 sessions uh, and review your progress at the end of that you know what I mean and then uh, if for whatever reason things aren't changing at all then we either just, you know, we review your progress, you know, and we're kind of like, okay, well, are there other factors at play here? Or do is it just so deep-seated we need to do more, you know? Uh, or do you need to do more stuff at home yourself? Do you need to avoid doing certain things in your lifestyle, all that sort of stuff, you know? And so, uh, uh, you know, just thank God you got through this, especially that whole thing where you had that first blood test cancelled, you know? like, Yeah, that was the sort of, like, oh, okay, so I could have been stage one, stage two at that point, I had no idea. And that was like more September time, wasn't it? October. October. And then delayed till December, yeah. Wow. So is there any, uh, now that you've been kind of signed off basically, right? Or are you going for checkups every now and then? So they can't discharge anyone, I assume, with cancer for five years. Yeah. So it can come back. Um, hopefully it doesn't. Yeah. I can get other complications as well. Um, one of the things I could probably end up with is like some sort of heart problem along the line. Um, so I have three months every three months I have a checkup for the next year then I have year, uh, six monthly checkups through another year or two and then yearly and then the fifth year they can finally sort of sign me off but um, yeah, yeah so I, I, I had a I think I see them at the end of August because I finished in May so so that's your, your first official checkup is August right yes yeah so we'll guess I guess they'll sort of see how I'm getting on but I mean just being back into normal lifestyle so I I've been working part-time um, for the first few weeks, month. Now I've gone back up to four days. So I was three days a week, now I'm four days. And then on my days off, I'm trying to not just lounge about because I find that makes me more tired when you do nothing. And I'm, I'm getting back into my life again, basically, which is really good. So I, I see that I'm, I'm definitely maintaining 
And your, your weight's back up to what it was? Yeah, so. weight's back up to what it was. A little bit more, <laughs> which yeah. is good. Nice. Yeah. Probably needed that. Yeah, yeah. did need that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so what, um, I'm just sort of wondering what else, uh, and, and yeah, you kind of feel like you haven't lost any other, you know, function or your body's sort of back uh, 100%, right? Yeah, well, the only, so the back pain, I can't remember if I said this earlier or not, but it almost went straight away. Like, I didn't really, because I kind of had a new focus almost, was this cancer, not back pain. I sort of went, oh, hang on, my, you know, my back's not hurting anymore. And that was about sort of two cycle, no, two, two weeks in, sorry, to the first cycle. And I thought, that's so weird. Like, why is it gone already? And when, when they actually um, did my, uh, showed me my scan results the, at the Marsden, they said to me, oh, what, what, you know, just out of interest, how, how did you end up here? And I told them the sort of, you know, briefly the story. And they, they said, oh, I don't think back pain was related to it. I think it was just coincidence at the same time. And I was like, okay, she's the, she's the big doctor, she knows, you know, so I thought, fair enough. And then I saw that scan, which I said was lit up. And I said, why is, why is my spine so lit up? She said, oh, well, that's because it was in your bone marrow. And I said, oh, is that why my back hurt then? She went, oh, yeah, I suppose it could have been, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I guess maybe that's just what it attacked first, got, got rid of that, because it, you know, it made me start thinking, like, was I making it up? I definitely wasn't. It so was, I wonder, it was like, you know, given that that was your first symptom, I wonder where it did actually start. Yeah, and like, uh, they said they can't, you're never, you're never going to know, basically. Yeah. Um, they don't know what causes it as such. Um, it just happens. Just, 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 yeah, it just happens. Um, but you're right. Like you know, that's the, you know, the obviously the, you know, as I said, within the bone marrow is one of the complications that can occur. And uh, but it's again, it's sort of one of those things where you don't even see on an X-ray. You know, like it has to be pretty advanced changes yeah. to the bone marrow to see a change within the vertebral body. You know, um, so you know, even though the X-ray that we took of your spine, I'm pretty sure no one with Hodgkin's lymphoma has, like it has to be pretty advanced yeah. to sort of see any changes within that, you know, uh, and so that's that's obviously something that would be pretty hard to pick up anyway, you know, and, and that's why they do these PET scans and, and to sort of actually look at the tissue, not, yeah, you know. Uh, so you're in pretty good company having been some bone cancer survivor, right? Obviously the most famous, well not bone cancer, but the, sorry, the most famous cancer survivor was Lance Armstrong, obviously, right? Yeah, I suppose so. So when's the book coming out? Yeah. <laughs> it's not about the bike. <laughs> I can barely speak to you for how long about, you know, let alone writing something down, I don't know, but yeah. And um, uh, obviously after he had the cancer, he had amazing performance, right? So is your performance gains after this, like... Is, has chemo given you that like edge that you know? I definitely so I, I had I did my first um, competitive ride the other day I was well, during all this I was like how am I going to get back into riding because of COVID especially um, being you know that I'm potentially going to be vulnerable to getting getting ill easier I thought oh I'll get into time trialing done a few in the past not very good at them yeah. not any good at them anymore anyway so but I thought you know so I got I thought at least I'm on my own and it's a race against me then yeah. you know so I did my first one the other day and uh, it went yeah alright quick quick little 10 mile and it's, uh, it was just, it's a, a time that I can at least um, yeah. start to build up on right Amazing. but my, my main thing is um, is cyclocross racing and um, just so anyone doesn't know it's like it's like, um, like cross country running but you're on a bike yeah. <laughs> basically it's great fun 
um, which is in the winter time. So I'm going to hopefully get back to that um, coming into the yeah. Just say I feel so much better now, and I want to get back into it. So we'll so see. Did you do this time trial on a TT bike or a road bike? I did do it on a TT bike because yeah, I was right. locked inside for however long. I was kind of just on eBay, and I'll get one if it comes up. And I found a good one. I bought it. So nice. it kind of gave me yeah. It gave me like a you know something to look forward to. Yeah, well, absolutely. And uh, I don't know if you know, but I uh, I had that same idea, right? I'm like, well, we're never going to race again properly uh, for ages, so let's just do these COVID-friendly one every minute sort of races. Uh, yeah. And I've done a couple of tens myself, but um, it's not pleasant, is it? But it's like, no, uh, it's not but, nice. it, but it's really good for you. Where that Definitely. idea of like, you know, you, you've laid down a time. You just don't look at who ever won the thing. Who's yeah, basically, it's not. Uh, doesn't it's irrelevant, really? Yeah, you yeah. want to try and get the best time but at the same time you, you're there to race against yourself aren't you so it, it just makes it, that made perfect sense to me in terms of getting back into it um, and yeah so I've done a couple of those and then I'll, like I said, I'm going to go on to my racing in the winter hopefully and sort because of, I got annoyingly fairly good at that eventually after uh, 10 years of doing it <laughs> so where I was kind of you know starting to win races and then this all kicked off so it was getting that's what frustrated me the most do you, because uh, I, I, I wear this whoop thing all the time, do you know about whoop or aura ring or any of those things? Nope. I'm a bit of a technophobe, unfortunately. <laughs> well, it's, it's basically, there's quite a lot of devices around these days that sort of uh, give you measurements of what your physiology is doing, right? Um, yeah. And uh, whoop in particular does this measurement of heart rate variability, right? So the idea being that if your heart beats like a metronome, like literally beats exactly the same we're not talking about like resting heart rate where it's like you know really low resting heart rate it's like if there is no variation between the beats at all that means you're really unhealthy right? oh right okay whereas if there are subtle microsecond variations between how often the heart beats that's a really healthy sign because your body is like uh, reacting to the environment around you and able to adapt to anything that's thrown at it you know? yeah sure and so that's how it sort of measures uh, how good your recovery is, how uh, you know, good your general health is, by looking at this heart rate variability score. And it sort of measures, it sort of links it in with sleep and heart rate variability. And so it's the sort of thing that I'd encourage you to probably look into, um, just to, like, because yeah, especially as you're like, you know, I guess officially not 100% out of the woods, yeah. but just to be able to sort of have some of those little markers to kind of say okay well you know my resting heart rate is actually really nicely going down and I'm getting fitter I'm getting healthier but then if all of a sudden then it goes a little bit this almost could detect it detect a variation in your physiology before you really get to feel it yeah that, so. um, that is something I've been um told to look into I just haven't got around to that yet yeah. but it's the sort of thing that I am um, yeah I mean, they're not particularly cheap it's, but it's um, I think most of them Actually, I think the Aura Ring you buy, and then it's just free, but uh, this is like a subscription of like £10 a month or something, or £15 oh, okay. a month, and then it's like, it's, it's got a pretty good app to be able to sort of show you how things are going, you know, but it's like, things like that you should look into, I think, just as a sort of a returning back to fitness sort of thing. Yeah, I definitely can't just, uh, yeah, like you said, not out of the woods, I can't just go, okay, I'm fine, and then just get on with my life how it was. Um, um, it's definitely got something I've got, got a track, which I will do. Yeah, but obviously the hospital's going to help you track and all that yeah, and it's also um, how I feel as well. I guess like um, I can I can feel if I'm pushing myself, even like day to day stuff with getting back to you know working and stuff. My job's quite physical, is it? It's standing up all day, and from the first few days back was oh you know completely knocked me back. Whereas now I'm always getting back into it and getting used to it. So I guess I kind of 
just have to take it easy on how I'm, how I'm feeling. A bit, bit more old school and not tracking it as such, but, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, um, it's definitely important that you don't push yourself too hard and, and sort of feel like you're uh, sort of trying to get out of the hole again. So, yeah, exactly. I don't want to, I definitely don't want to go back down there. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for having a chat. Is there anything we... Uh, we didn't cover I think that's like a really good summary of the whole yeah, I think story so. yeah. I'm super stoked that you've got through this uh, thank you without yeah. <laughs> you know seemingly any any problems and that uh, it eventually was detected and, and uh, I think it's a pretty interesting story so oh, thanks yeah. thanks for sharing it um, it's obviously going to go up on the old Cairo London podcast uh, at some point soon I'll let yeah. you know when it's up excellent um, nice one. But thanks for thanks for sharing. Excellent. In the uh, and I hope it wasn't too noisy with these yeah. sort of cafe tunes. Vibe <laughs> no, we'll the find out. Not, yeah, nice, nice vibe. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I reckon it'll be good. Um. Okay, Will. Thanks for sharing that, mate. Uh, amazing story to tell. Glad you're okay. And uh, for those of you interested in that uh, cat pet scan uh, that he was talking about, I'm going to post that up on the at Cairo London Pod Instagram account, uh, so you can then check that out. You should give us a follow over there anyway. Uh, it's got all the archive of the podcast on there, as well as uh, whenever I drop a new episode, which appears to be only kind of once a month at the moment, as opposed to what it used to be of once a week, uh, I'll definitely pop it up there, so you can just keep track of what we're doing. Um, and also, you know, maybe interact if you've got any other ideas as to who you'd like to get on or like me to get on or topics you'd like to sort of have discussed, uh, you know, leave me a little message on the Instagram. Um, okay, guys, until next time, signing off.